This podcast is for parents like you, navigating the world of neurodiversity with love and compassion. I'm a neurodivergent mother of three amazing neurodivergent children and a board-certified music therapist. Our mission is to create a supportive space where you feel understood, connected, and inspired. With practical tips, strategies, and resources, we'll help you and your child thrive in your unique way. Join us as we dive deep into the diverse world of neurodivergent individuals, exploring topics like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, sensory processing challenges, and more. We'll cover it all to empower, educate, and uplift both neurodivergent individuals and those who walk alongside them. Together, we'll create a world where every brain is valued and celebrated. We're excited to embark on this enlightening journey with you. We are your hosts, Samantha Foote and Lauren Ross, and this is the Every Brain is Different podcast. Brain is Different podcast. We are here with Jenny Coaches. And Jenny, will you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Excited to yeah, be here. here. So I am the mom of three twice exceptional kids. And what that means is that they are intellectually gifted, but also deal or struggle or have challenges with developmental or learning delays. So my kids are 16, 12, and 8. Um, my oldest is a rising junior and in kindergarten, so about 10 years ago, like already, gosh, she was diagnosed as having what they used to call Asperger's. So it's now, I don't, I, I really feel like we need a better term <laughs> for it. So I always stop, like struggle with what I'm supposed to call it. But yeah, so she, she has high functioning or level one autism or she is autistic. And then my 12 and eight year olds, they are like twinsies a little bit. They both have anxiety. They both have OCD, the intrusive type, and then they are both ADHD. But my 12-year-old is a girl and my 8-year-old is a boy. So it's been interesting seeing how they deal with things differently, especially my 12-year-old because she's highly empathic. So she's very aware of people around her and how the people around her perceive her. So she masks a lot when she's out in public and as does my 16 year old, because she also is very aware of how people around her perceive her. So lots of masking going on with my eight year old. He's just, this is how I am. Take me yes, as I am. I so love that. I love yeah, it. Yeah. He's, he's a piece of work. Oh boy. <laughs> yes. So anyway, as for me, I was formally diagnosed in elementary school. I don't know. I'm like an eighties kid. So in elementary school, they said I had an auditory processing delay. That's probably true. But I think it's also, I am pretty sure that I have ADHD um, now knowing what I know about ADHD in girls and watching my own kids. I've only been formally diagnosed with the auditory processing in elementary school, but then also depression and anxiety. And that happened in my early 20s, when was, which was like my first initial step at getting help. Because when my mom tried to take me for like therapy and stuff back when I was younger, I was very like, I don't need this. I don't want to talk to anyone. Leave me alone. <laughs> I had a lot of pride, so I didn't want any help. And then my husband is also neurospicy, but he does not have any formal diagnoses. It's just his older brother is autistic. He has a brother who is also dyslexic. And so it runs in the family. There's all sorts of neurospicy stuff going on. So then in 2016, after our daughter was initially diagnosed as under the autism umbrella, I founded, well, no, was that, I don't know. Time is relative. It's all wibbly wobbly, <laughs> but, uh, but it was somewhere in there that I founded the community that I've had for the past seven years, which is not so formulaic, which is 
designed to support, to give practical support and prayerful encouragement to Christian moms of neurodivergent and differently wired kids. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. How did you come to know that you had ADHD? Because I have heard of so many women who later in life, they're just like, yeah, I have ADHD and I've struggled my whole life. And now I finally am validated in knowing that I have it. Yeah. No, I think it's funny. My mom actually was diagnosed with ADHD in her 60s, (laughs) believe it or not. So that was really, we always just would tease my mom because she, she's very orderly. Everything needs to be neat and clean. Like you can't be cooking in the kitchen without her coming along and putting stuff away in the dishwasher behind you, which is great most of the time, but then she'll put stuff away that you need or, but I think that's one of the ways that she copes with her executive function that she's always struggled with. But I never, it never really even occurred to me because I said I was, you know, diagnosed as an adult with anxiety and depression, but I think Looking back, I see all those textbook characteristics of myself as a girl or a woman with ADHD because I was smart, but I was also super, super disorganized. In fact, I still keep in touch with a friend of mine who was actually my desk mate, and she would organize my binder and my desk for me like every single day. (laughs) But it wasn't just that. Like I would have these periods of intense hyper-focus where I would get sucked into a topic that I was really interested in, and I would just research it to its final point to the exclusion of everything else around me. If I wasn't interested in a school assignment, I really, I would... I'm what I call a lazy perfectionist. I want everything to be perfect, but if it doesn't interest me, I don't want to put the work in. I'll leave things to the last minute, slap it all together, and then just beat myself up over the fact that I didn't work as hard on it as I should have. Whereas if there's something that I'm really excited about, I'll spend days, hours, weeks just doing only that thing. And it's still something I struggle with as an adult because my house, it's a mess. (laughs) fine. It's fine. I'm okay with that. We don't have roaches. So there's like a level of cleanliness that I have achieved. But if I could turn the camera around and show you just there's clutter everywhere. And that's just that's the way it is. Because I when I'm working and I can't, I can't focus on anything else. So yeah, so those are the things that I see in myself. But then also, how did I figure those things out? A lot of the struggles that my daughter was having, we initially attributed only to her anxiety and to her OCD. And the executive function piece, like she would, she loses stuff a lot. God bless her. And we also, we lovingly call her the destroyer. And she knows that and she's fine with it. She did, it doesn't bother her because she will like where she's been sitting, there'll be like a pile of stuff that she's just been like ripping up or tearing apart or whatever. And it's not usually anything important like paper or whatever. It's just something to keep her fingers busy. All these things that she would do I just assumed we're an artifact of her anxiety, which, okay, she's got coping mechanisms. That's fine. But then we had her IEP. We moved from one county to another in the same state, just like 20 miles south. And so we ended up in a new school district. And when it was time for her IEP to be re-upped or renewed or whatever, they did their own set of evaluations because they took what we had from the previous county. But since it was time to renew, they figured they'd do their own testing. And she scored extremely high on the D markers. They didn't, they don't diagnose it's a school system. I guess it's not quite, not, it's not dishonest, but it's not, I can't really say for sure that she has it. She hasn't been diagnosed, so to speak, formally, but the markers were there. 
And along with the, the anxiety and the OCD and then conversations I've had with our psychiatrist and based on the fact that we have one who is autistic already, those traits are going to show up in all three of the kids. Long story short, the more I started recognizing, oh, these are things that she does because it's, she potentially has ADHD, I started looking into girls with ADHD and how it presents. And I have a Facebook group that goes along with my website. And a lot of the moms in there have girls with ADHD. So I was talking to them, getting more information. And then one day it hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, everything, all the perseveration, all the hyper-focus, all the really negative feelings I've had about myself, not being like worthy enough, losing track of time, being disorganized. I'm, that's when I realized that was probably me too. So yeah, that's how I figured that out. Nice. Yeah, we are the same. So I, yeah. that just validates my ADHD diagnosis that I got a couple months ago. Oh, okay, um, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So you are an author. Can you tell us a little about your books and what people can get from them? Yeah, I have a bunch of different things. So I write, I've written probably about a dozen nonfiction resources. And then I have one novel that came out in May. The nonfiction is all designed to help neurodivergent families, and I have some resources for teens and tweens, thrive in the way that they want to thrive. So I think it's really important, especially with the neurodivergent community, to make sure that you're respecting the identity and the integrity of the individual person as they were created. I don't ever want to make people feel as though they're somehow less because their brain is wired differently because it's absolutely not the case. For example, I have a few workbooks and toolkits for teens that focus on developing like routines or executive function skills or even a growth mindset. And it's all about acknowledging that, hey, you're beautiful and wonderful and unique the way you are. Here's some techniques and strategies that you can use to help you with the area, the areas you want to go stronger in. And I, of course, there, I want to help them see that there are some areas that are like non-negotiables, hygiene, the way we treat others. You can develop those areas in a way that still respects who you are. So that's all of my nonfiction. Like I have a made for greatness is my growth mindset. Is that executive Can you give decisions. us a, little, oh, sorry, um, go a ahead. little more information about what the first one you said was? Made, made for, for greatness. greatness. Like what it, exactly is that? It talks, growth mindset is the ability to see challenges as stepping stones, basically, and to see like failures and setbacks as a way to, to grow and learn from these things that happen to you when you don't do well on an, assi- on an assignment or you, you know, don't make a team. Instead of shutting down and saying, I'm just not good at it, looking at how you can improve or turn it into a positive experience that you can grow from. It's, it does, all my nonfiction is written from a Christian perspective. So it takes into account the virtues and I pull on the lives of some of the saints and scripture to show kids that there is a purpose for the mistakes that we make. The mistakes we make don't mean that we are failures. Rather, instead, it's a way for us to, you know, move forward in the path that we're taking. So that's what growth mindset is, is the ability to grow from those, to learn to see, like I said, challenges as stepping stones, and then using them as a way to, to build your skills and grow from them. So there's that. And then I have several things for executive, executive function, a couple of courses and workbooks and with all how to build those kind of external systems that, I mean, because executive function is not something that you'll ever develop on your own. You're either born with it or you're not. So you you don't just naturally grow into it. So the idea is that when you're trying to help a child who lacks those executive function skills, lacks the ability to order their brains, their bodies, their spaces, setting up 
the scaffolding that they need for the different layers of skills that their brain needs to develop. I talk about that in the workbooks and the toolkits and give them, you know, lots of lots of examples of visual schedules and ways to keep everybody on track, how not to lose everything, stuff like that. And then I Can you yeah, give us some more tips on sure. how to increase executive functioning? Yes. So it starts there's a lot of different layers to executive function and it starts with kind of the basic you have to be able to take care of things like working memory, like your visual memory, your impulse control, all those kinds of things before you can work on being able to remember to get your, your keys and your wallet before you leave. A lot of the things that I encourage to work on working memory, there's obviously memory games, of course, and you can develop by, there's even, what am I trying to say? When you do, a, there's an activity where you have the kid follow you in all your directions. So you put your hands up, they do the same thing. It's like mirror basically. So it's visual and motor planning at the same time they're like processing the stimulus that's in front of them, which will also help with working memory. But then sometimes it's just easier as you're working through it to have like visual reminders, visual schedules, visual cues. If you want your children to help you load the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher exactly the way you want it, taking a picture of it, putting it up by the dishwasher and saying, this is what it should look like. Or writing out the steps to, here's what you need to do to get ready in the morning. Because for my kids, like with my oldest, especially, oh my gosh, when she was younger, if I sent her upstairs to go brush her teeth and get dressed, she'd disappear for 30 minutes and I'd go up and find her with her nose in a book because she'd gotten distracted. Or if I tell my other daughter, hey, go clean your room, I would go upstairs and find her knee deep in some like Lego creation that she's building because she was cleaning her room, but she started putting her Legos away and then realized that she could do XYZ with the Legos, giving them a step-by-step -step guide of this is how you clean your room. And even like practicing it with them, and taking pictures of where everything goes and putting it all up. And it feels, at first it feels like preschool, but that's essentially the way you have to approach it, at least for the brain, because the brain is learning these skills and they're, they're not easy to learn, especially when the brain is so busy focusing on other things. And this happens with gifted kids a lot. They're, the neurons are so tightly packed in there that there's a lot of intellectual stimuli going on but then everything else, your physical awareness, your ability to keep your desk organized, your ability even to remember to get up and go eat something falls by the wayside because your brain is so busy doing other things. So all of those, the visual cues, making lists, making guidelines for yourself, like little checklists, developing routines also, not necessarily a schedule because schedules can be kind of anxiety inducing, especially for kids who tend toward anxiety. Just having a general routine of every day, these are the things that we do and in this order, or maybe not in this order, but we make sure that we get these five things accomplished. We make sure that you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you put your dirty clothes in the hamper, you make your bed, you do your morning prayers, whatever it is that you want your child to accomplish. And then you just practice it over and have the list and they can check it off as they go. So we use a lot of lists in my house. <laughs> Yeah, so. those are great tips. I should do that for my children. My house would run a lot better if I did. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's hard, I think, when we ourselves are neurodivergent because it's something that we have to learn too and that we have to get ourselves into the habit of doing. It's how do I teach my kid to do something when I'm struggling with it too? So 
like developing my own lists and my own, like every morning before I do, I, I get up, I exercise because that helps me clear my head. And then I come over to my desk, my office, and then I make my to-do list for the day. Because if I don't have some sort of like structure for my day, I will spend most of it spinning my wheels, worrying about what I'm forgetting or trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And then I'm able to pencil in, okay, help such and such child with X skill on my list. So it's there and I know I need to do it. Yeah. I want to, I have a question and I want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. You mentioned masking. And so I want you to explain a little bit more of that and what that looks like in your children. And if you ever find yourself doing that as an adult. Yeah. So masking, essentially it's when a neurodivergent individual attempts to or changes their behavior in attempts to appear quote unquote normal or neurotypical. So that means if you are if you're autistic and you stem, like my daughter, God bless her, she used to flap her hands a lot, but then somebody once said something to her about how it was weird. So now she doesn't do that anymore. She like doesn't do that particular stem unless she's alone because she knows that it looks quote unquote weird to the average person and doesn't want to be perceived that way. My my middle, my my 12-year-old, she holds herself together really well in school. She I she's very empathic. She picks up on people's moods very quickly. She's very socially aware. And so middle school, I really was worried that middle school was going to be a disaster, but she's actually handled it very well because she masks so well. She's able to hold it all inside. And then when she gets home, she'll talk to me about it. On bad days, for both of my daughters, it's, it's really hard to watch because there are lots of meltdowns. There are days when they don't want to come out of their rooms. They get really tired. Fatigue is a big sign or an indicator of masking. So my oldest, she's tired a lot. I think we've had days where she's, she takes mental health days from school because she just, it's too much to try and attend to all the things she needs to attend, to read facial cues, to read social cues, to pay attention in school, to not be bothered by the bright fluorescent lights or the buzzing sound that comes from them or the way her, maybe her shirt is itchy. She likes wearing long sleeves because she feels more comfortable, but then she gets hot. But then she also doesn't really know regulating her temperature is hard sometimes. So all of those things she covers and she's had, she does have her student assistance plan. She goes to a private school, so she doesn't have an IEP, but her student assistance plan has in it a flash pass. And my 12-year-old, it's in her IEP as well. If she needs to exit the classroom for any reason, to take a break, whatever, she just puts her pass on her desk and walks out. And then she can go to the counselor's office. She can go to the nurse's office. She can go um, into the chapel or the library. She has four designated places she can go. So they're re- they've been really good helping her with that. But do I see myself masking? I think maybe, I don't know. I think probably a lot of people just thought I was like mean and rude because I would shut down and I would get really cranky. And I look back on like events in my life, especially like early in my marriage. And I was, when I was in my early twenties, I remember going to social events and just being so overwhelmed, but I would get catty and really unkind. And I don't know how, like, my husband didn't, <laughs> I don't know how he just didn't think that I was the worst person in the world, but obviously he loves me. So he knows, he knew me. And I think he understood. I think that was the way I, 
not masking, so to speak, but it was the way I coped and it wasn't a great way. And I think now at this point in my life, I just am at the point where I don't care anymore. If I need a minute, I just, I'm like, look, I, this is too much. I'll see you guys later. I'm out. Like we went to the beach with my family. My family's large. There were like 20, 15 of us in the beach house. And I would just take my dinner and walk out on the porch and my glass of wine and my food. And I would eat out there just to get, cause I love my family. But all day of kids ages, like two to 16 and then adults who are all probably a lot neurodivergent. It's just, it's a lot. So anyway. <laughs> Thank you for telling us what masking is because I know a lot of people do it and they may not realize they're doing it. And yeah. so getting that definition and understanding what it looks like sure. is very helpful. Good. Great. Are there other resources that you also offer to people that you can talk about? Yeah. So I, I have all those nonfiction books and then I do, I did write my first YA young adult novel because I wanted to provide a space for kids to see themselves in the fiction that they read. I did. I have started writing fiction. So I write stories about love, faith, friendship, and forgiveness, starring neurodivergent characters so that neurodivergent teens and adults can see themselves in the books they read and have access to that positive representation. Because I don't, I feel if, if a person's brain is wired differently, the fiction they read ought to be too. So I think it's really important to have a space where, you know, kids who love to read can really be able to say, oh my gosh, that's me. I do these things. Maybe I'm not as different or as other as I thought I was to give them that sense of belonging and also just give them really good stories to read that will occupy their time and relate to their interests. Yeah. So those are the things. I have, nonfiction is all practical stuff for helping families um, thrive in the way that they want to. And then the fiction is for kids to really, right, and adults, to have their worlds represented that way on the page. Yeah. I would have loved to read something like that when I was a teenager Yeah, because I felt so, I just felt so weird. And yeah. just, and everyone was like, you're so emotional. You're so dramatic. You're so this, you're so just right. too much right? because I had dysregulation in my emotions. Yep. And so if I could have read something that other people were like me, I'd be like, oh, I'm not weird and psycho. No. Right. I think that's an important thing that you're doing. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Where can people find you? And do you, you said that you had a free download for people. I um, do. Where can they find that? Yeah, it's real simple. It's I shortened the link. It's bit.ly. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash not so formulaic. So N-O-T-S-O-F-O-R-M-U-L-A-I-C. I feel like I'm at a spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can, I have a quick start guide for families with neurodivergent children. So it's got, it's, it is faith-based. So it's got a hundred patron saints for exceptional Catholic kids. It's got a booklet on the five myths about raising a neuro, neurodivergent child. And then I think it also has the exceptional child information sheet that parents can print out and fill out and give to teachers to give information to their about their child, teachers, coaches, mentors, anybody, babysitters, anybody who's going to be spending time with your child. It's like a little, hey, meet my kiddo. Here's this. Here's what makes them really great. And here's what you need to know. So there's that. And then you can find me at notsoformulaic.com or at jennycoaches.com. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks and for having me. everything you had to share. 
especially about executive functioning, because people don't think about that. They just think right. about, oh, my kid is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And <laughs> I don't know, like even I know about executive functioning dysfunction. And when my kids aren't listening, I'm like, what is going on with you? Right. So just to think <laughs> about that and how to help them actually gain the skills instead yeah. of just constantly reminding them to do things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope the discussion on neurodiversity has provided you with support, understanding, and inspiration. If you found our podcast valuable, please share it with others who may benefit from our insights and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the follow button and let's keep exploring the fascinating world of neurodiversity. Click the link in our show notes to visit our website for a free download of three tips for a stronger relationship with your child.